Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, as usual, we'll have that Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis. We're also going to be uh, talking with uh, Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about getting your cash flow organised in your business and uh, getting paid. But right now, we're going to have another chat with Dave Sheeran from WorkCover. Today, we're going to talk about the duties of an officer. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon, Julian, and a very good afternoon to all of your listeners. And thank you once again for joining us. Um, the, the new WHS, or work, work Health Safety Legislation, refers to a person conducting a business or undertaking, which we've called a PCBU, workers and other officers. And we've discussed these previously, the duties of the PCBU and workers. However, today I think we should explore the duties of an officer. So firstly, how would someone know if they were an officer? Well, Julian, essentially um, an officer uh, within a PCBU would be a person who makes decisions or participates in making decisions that would affect the whole or a substantial part of the uh, business or undertaking and has the capacity to significantly affect uh, the financial standing of the business or undertaking. Now, if a person is responsible only for implementing those decisions, then they would not be considered um, an officer. Okay, so with regard to the decision-making process that you've just explained, what type of people or positions within a a PCBU might we then refer to as an officer? For example, I run my own small business, but it is a proprietary limited company, uh, so I suspect I would be an officer. Absolutely, Julian. You are spot on there. You are an officer of the PCBU, your own business there. Um, We have been able to extract um, others um, that we can be definite about, and those would be people who uh, hold positions such as a chief executive officer, for example, um, a board of directors, managing director in your case, um, a company secretary. Um, And I I, I must also point out, though, that uh, for the purposes of the work health safety legislation, sole traders or partners in partnerships are not officers, they are actually referred to as the PCBU or the entity. So they're the PCBU themselves, but obviously they have the same responsibilities. They have the responsibilities of a PCBU, Hmm. um, whereas an officer has a different set of responsibilities. So a PCBU has a primary duty of care, and that duty of care rests with those partners and or the sole trader, whereas the PCBU in your case is the company, and it has a primary duty of care, in, in, in that instance, you are the officer of that company, so you have the positive duty, um, which is to ensure the company or the PCBU itself meets with its work health safety obligations, and that is relative to the decision-making process. Well, that brings us into due diligence, and my understanding is that if a PCBU has a duty or obligation under the WHS legislation, an officer of that PCBU must exercise due diligence to ensure that the PCBU complies with that Uh, obligation. What is due diligence? Well look essentially, um, and I'll take a step back essentially it's the PCB that has the primary duty of care to ensure as far as is reasonably practicable the health and safety of its workers. So therefore with that primary duty the PCBU will then appoint an officer who is responsible for the corporate governance and who will make decisions on behalf of the PCBU. So that person or that what we refer to then that decision-making process being due diligence or a positive duty placed on that person requires that person to make decisions um, that ensure as far as reasonably practicable that the PCBU complies with all of its work health safety duties. So it comes back to that decision-making process and how does that impact upon the PCBU 
insofar as it being able to comply with its work health safety duties. Okay, so that talks about what they have to do. How would an officer exercise this due diligence? Well, look, we've got some wonderful information on our website, and, and, and I'll, I'll skim across a couple of things yeah. here for, for the listeners. Um, if, if, if I was an officer of a PCBU, what it would mean to me to exercise due diligence would be things like um, acquiring and keeping up to date with knowledge of work health safety matters. Now, how I would do that would be to um, uh, keep up to date with changes in work health safety, the legislation, the codes of practice and safety guidelines, um, being a member of an association and getting information from that association as an example. Um, I'm also responsible to gain an understanding of the PCBU's business operations and the associated hazards and risks with that. Now, I could achieve that as an officer by, uh, as an example, I'll give you an example, uh, undertaking regular inspections of the workplace and talking to the workers, as mm. another example. I'm also responsible for ensuring the PCBU has available for use and uses appropriate resources and processes, and that's to eliminate or minimise the risk to health and safety. So if I've got uh, an example of that would be establishing, maintaining a system to manage the risks to health and safety, um, as one example, and having safe plant equipment and maintenance of that plant and equipment, um, I've got to ensure also that the PCBU has appropriate processes for receiving and considering information regarding any incidents or hazards and risks. And I must ensure that we are able to respond to that in a timely manner. So how I'll do that is, is I'll introduce or implement a you know, hazard reporting system, ensure that that's communicated to the uh, workers within the area um, and, and that hazards or incidents are acted on promptly and remedial actions are monitored or those that are put in place. And then I've also got a responsibility to uh, implement processes for complying with that duty or obligation. Now, I can do that by um, ensuring that I have uh, I do report notifiable incidents, as an example, to work cover. I, um, I consult with my workers as, as part of the um, uh, legislation. And then finally, I've got to verify the provision and use of those resources and processes required for compliance. Now, that'll be things like um, ensuring that... Um, that I actively verify and audit the safety arrangements within that PCBU and ensure that any identified gaps um, are, are acted on and um, appropriate actions are put in place. So a reasonably elongated response, and that's why I started with it. That sort of stuff's on our website as well. And, and uh, most of that stuff uh, has been accomplished under the old Act anyway, hasn't it? It's, uh, you know, a lot of change of terminology and things. Under the new Act, the WHS legislation, does, uh, as it put a, a more obligations on the officer? Um, not necessarily. Um, some might argue yes, some might argue no. I think what it does is it, it actually provides a more detailed um, uh, process whereby we can identify who people may be and their responsibilities for acting in, in, in a reasonably practicable manner. So we've all had responsibilities and, and the existing Act also flagged those responsibilities. I just think that this is probably a little bit more detailed and a bit more easy to understand, personally mm, speaking. Mm. And, of course, one of the things we should... Uh, uh, f shouldn't forget is as well as visiting the website uh, your role as a business advisory officer is to go out and talk to businesses about how they can uh, satisfy the legislation isn't it? Absolutely and look we encourage small businesses to engage with us and, and that service is free as you know um, and uh, it, it's quite simply contacting the 131050 number 
um, and they will send you out uh, either my details if you're in the Newcastle area that I look after or uh, the relevant details of the advisory officer. They'll talk to you, get you to fill out a form and um, it's a confidential engagement and uh, what we do is we look at the issues that are being, uh, that the business is experiencing difficulties with or we'll validate the great work that they're mm. doing. Mm. Uh, from that we'll then re- prepare a report for them um, and that report will have a number of options for them with regard to trying to resolve or rectify those um, those issues that they're having problems with. Now, I believe it's time for the uh, 2012 New South Wales Safe Work Awards. It certainly is, and the Safe Work Awards um, entries opened on Monday the 2nd of April, and they'll close at 5pm on Friday the 8th of June. And there's five categories. Um, one is, obviously, Category 1 is the Best Workplace Health and Safety System, Category 2, Best Solution to Identified Workplace Health and Safety Issue. Um, Category 3, Best Workplace Health and Safety Practice in a Small Business. And that's the one that I try to get involved with with the small businesses, some of your listeners there. Um, If they've introduced a a good safety practice, then, you know, why not get recognition for that? Um, Category 4 is the Best Individual Contribution, rather, to Workplace Health and Safety. And Category 5 is the Work Cover New South Wales Safety Leadership Award. So... People um, or businesses can't apply for that. They must be nominated by a work cover representative mm. um, to um, to uh, to be involved in that safety leadership award. Well, thanks for time again, Dave, and we might just mention that again next month when we have a chat. You're welcome, Julian. I'd like to wish you and your listeners a safe and happy day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Dave Sheeran there from WorkCover, helping us to understand the role of a, an officer under this new... WHS Act. You're listening to Business The Law In You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over to the Business Growth Centre and have a chat with Brett Gleeson. Good afternoon, Brett. Oh, hi, Julian. Thanks for joining us again. So uh, today we're looking at that important area of cash flow because obviously with the global financial crisis, things have tightened up a lot. What is the fundamentals for good cash flow? Well, I guess, um, doing a bit of context, I suppose, in terms of cash flow, uh, we've got about 18,000 businesses each year that are currently going into um, insolvency or, or winding up, and about 60% of those are small businesses uh, that are in their first three years. So it's a pretty critical area, and cash flow is one of the main main reasons why that situation occurs. So um, it's a very critical area of, of survival. So uh, I guess the first fundamental is some good sales. Um, if you don't have sales, you know, if you haven't got a good product or a good service and some good staff to make the sales, then you're not going to have money flowing in. Uh, so that's really important. The next thing is that when you've got some, some inflow of money, you need good, accurate and timely bookkeeping. Uh, you need to have accurate financial uh, reporting so that you know exactly how you're travelling each month and where you are. In some businesses, that you need to be weekly uh, or even daily in some cases um, if cash flow is that critical. And as a manager, you need to be looking at those financial reports uh, every month and checking your balance sheet and your profit and loss uh, for both for the month and the, and the year to date and, and checking your debtors and, and, and creditors uh, levels, you know, who owes you money and, and who do you owe money to. Uh, and absolutely important that you send out invoices at the beginning of each month um, as soon as you practically can uh, so that you give yourself the maximum amount of time for uh, people to be able to um, to get their money in and, and, uh, and pay you. So uh, uh, some mm. basics, but, but very fun, very you know, very fundamental in terms of the, the, the cash flow pro- 
process. So you mentioned how much people owe you and who owns your money. If someone owes you money, how do you get paid? Well, it's a bit of a balance between maintaining the relationship with the client but also getting your money as well. So that, that important, uh, important uh, relationship is needs to be reserved. Uh, so though it, it's important for business to realise that there are some relationships that are not worth you know, the pain. Uh, so they need to make a judgement about whether that, that customer or that client is worth keeping. And if they don't pay uh, their bills then bottom line is they're not worth having, they're going to do, um, do damage to your business. So uh, don't hang on to a customer just for the sake of it, uh, just because they owe money. Uh, sometimes you have to take a, a firm stance and, and um, you know, put your, put your business first. Mm. But it's important to start the process with a, with a friendly phone call. Um, it could be that the invoice went missing, uh, that it's got lost in the system, there could be a change of staff at the other end, a whole range of... Uh, Innocent reasons why why the, the bill hasn't been paid, uh, but you need to check that out first, and then uh, I guess up the ante uh, if after a period of time, uh, if it hasn't been paid and you've been told it would be paid, then you need to sort of get a bit more serious, and you go through a process of of you know the phone call, the letter, uh, and then if you have to, you can put it in the hands of uh, a debt collector mm. if you uh, if you need to, and uh, that can be uh, an efficient way of doing it, but. You need to, as I say, those other steps will help to preserve the relationship in the in the process. Uh, and what you really want out at the end of the day is to have the invoice paid and have the customer continue to do business with you. And uh, if you can achieve that in a timely manner uh, without too much uh, angst, then uh, that's the ideal. And, of course, you can use the email too these days as well. With the you can, yeah, email. yeah. Emails, are, emails can be uh, sort of not responded to, I guess, in, a, in some ways as well, but at least it's a, it is a part of the process. But yeah. I, I find the phone call, because uh, it gives you some feedback as to where mm-hmm. they're at, and, uh, and you know, that, that's important to know where they're at as well. And if it is something where, you know, someone's gone on holidays and hasn't been paid for that reason, well, then that, that's, you know, that's, you know, at least you know why. Um, if they're not paying it because they don't want to pay it, then that's a different, or if they just, because there's this dispute, if they're disputing the amount, then that needs to be resolved very quickly. Uh, won't never get paid unless it is um, is resolved. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again, uh, Brett. And next week we're going to talk about uh, some tips on strategies on time management, which is a challenge for a lot of people. It is. It is. Some do it well and some do it very poorly. <laughs> talk to you next week. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Julian. Bye-bye. Bye. Brett Gleeson there from the Business Growth Centre. Some tips on uh, getting paid. Well, now it's time to cross over to Christina Sikiotis from Create and Innovate at the Hunter TAFE for our minute on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. Uh, And today we're going to talk about look outside your industry for ideas. Absolutely, and for great inspiration. We're a very adaptable being, Julian, and in turn we should adopt and adapt great ideas all the time. I think a question that should be asked more often is, how can I make that twist work in my industry? Let's take the idea of sensors, for example. Sensors exist in the home and in business with security systems that warn us of break and enters. Or in my case, one day we had a spider crawl over the sensor. Mm. Um, The auto industry adopted the principle as a safety mechanism. Sensors are used in technology to assist people who have sight impairments. Same idea, three different industries. 
Now let's look at the mobile phone. Its uses are numerous. Initially it was designed to make a call. Now it can make a call, send a text, check an email, submit an assignment, take a photo, shoot a film, download a game, enter a competition. One idea, so many different uses and so many different ways that it makes society a better place. Then there's a collaboration of ideas which opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Let's look at Richard Branson's Space Shuttle, an historic occasion that collaborates the use of space travel with the tourism industry. A great example of two remote industries joining together to form a new possibility. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that, Christina, and uh, we'll have a chat about another Minute on Innovation next time.